Well, you know what? I, I noticed this week I have found myself saying on Facebook, saying at the beginning of the sermon, how we're having a lot of fun looking at heaven. We're having fun, aren't we? All right. Uh, it's like nine of us are. Super. And, and so, you know, it's a, and I noticed why do I, it, it is fun. And, and it, boy, it just lifts your spirits and it gets, man, I can't wait to do that or talk about that or preach on that. And it dawned on me this week, you know, this is kind of what the scripture said, isn't it? Don't, don't get focused, so focused on everything going on in the earth, but set your focus on heaven because it lifts your spirits. It gives you hope. Maybe, maybe we should not just wait to bump into a sermon series or to go find a book or to, li- maybe we need to discipline our lives to, to purposely think on heaven, you know, at least on a weekly basis, right, folks? Because this is our great hope and joy. And we have had fun looking at who gets in, how we get in, what we're going to do in heaven, uh, you, you know, what heaven's going to be like. And, and today we're looking at relationships. Now, in all of these things, I, I think my focus in this series has been on what I would call the blanks. And what I mean by the blanks, it's these are issues, questions that when we go to think on heaven, it's just kind of a blank. We don't, we don't really know. We don't, we don't have any concrete idea to hold on to there. By the way, I don't believe that's scripture's fault. I don't believe that's God's fault. That's a, that's an issue in our lives. But for a variety of reasons, we, we don't really know what that is. And so it just draws a blank. And so I've tried to fill in the blanks, connect some dots, pull scriptures together so we can see all there is to very concretely think on about heaven. Now, of course, as I have focused on that, I mean, there's been some things I've not focused on. As a matter of fact, maybe I should say there's been someone that I've not focused on as much. And that would be uh, God, right? God's in heaven. I need a whole lot more than nine people to agree with me on that one. Yeah. Yeah, folks, God is the great prize of heaven. As we joy in, as we get excited about all these other questions and what it might be like, folks, Without God, heaven's hell. You ever thought about it that way? Without God, heaven is hell. There's no, there's no joy. There's no significance. There's no pleasure separated from Him uh, uh, apart from not just His being, but, but His actual presence. You know, I love the way King David says this in Psalm 16. He says, Lord, you are my chosen portion. Now that's, that's not a phrase we use. <laughs> that's not a way of communicating. What, what he's saying here is, Lord, you're my great prize. God, you're the inheritance that I want. You're the, the big thing that, that I'm looking forward to in life. And then watch what he does here. In your what? In your presence. In your, okay, fullness of joy. Hey, I want that. Well, where is that joy? It is connected to his presence. And David even boils it down a little bit more. He says, at your right hand, at, at the place of your favor, at the, at the place of your goodness, at the place in relationship to you. That's where joy is what? Forevermore. I mean, that's, that's a reference to heaven. Forevermore. So folks, it's connected to God. It's, it's God being there. It's in relationship with God that there's all these other things that we look forward to and, and, and get excited about. Next week, we're going to conclude the series. And, and next week, we're going to be looking at what it's going to mean to us to see God. I, I want you to think about it this way this week. What will it be like when your eyeball finally gets to behold the one who created that eyeball? 
the one who designed it to do what it, what it does. Next week, we're going to be looking at what that means. And we're going to have this really cool thing because we're going to connect that to the Lord's Supper. Did you know they're, they're dynamically connected? That the opportunity to see God and what is happening at the Lord's table go, go hand in hand. So it's going, to, it's going to be a great time. I hope you can be here next week. I know somebody out here, you already got, you know, the beach. You got to go. I, man, get that. Be warm and filled. God bless. Have fun. But man, I hope you can be here because it's going, it's going to be a great Sunday uh, next week as we conclude that. But you know, folks, as, as we think next week about seeing God, and, and, and I kind of open today with this idea of God's the, the big prize. You know, in that, I've actually heard people say, I've, I've read it in books, almost that, that we're not to look forward to these other things in heaven. We're not to put our, our heart and mind on that. And I think the idea is that that, that somehow devalues God. That, that lessens our understanding of God to think that there's some person, something, some experience that's going to make heaven heaven. And, and that we're missing it when we don't realize that it's God. There's a part of me that gets that. Because, because I've heard people say, I would imagine some of you had, boy, it, it just, it wouldn't be heaven to me without fill in the blank, you know? Without that person, without that thing, without that experience. And I've heard a lot of people say stuff like that. And folks, that's really a very short-sighted statement, isn't it? I mean, that, that really is missing it. That, that really is. You're taking this little thing and defining eternity in heaven as if eternity in heaven could have no meaning without that. But while I get that... I actually disagree with the idea that we're not supposed to look forward to anything but God. And the reason I say that is because God gives us things to look forward to. God shows us these things, introduces us to these things, designed us for these things. So of course we're going to look forward to them. Of course we should look forward to them. And one of those things is our relationships. Man, in a perfect world, God made us beings that relate. I'm going to do what I've been doing now for several weeks to understand the future, to understand heaven. We're, we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden, back to, to Genesis. And, and I want you to see what God was thinking, what he designed in a perfect world. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, huge statement here, it's not good. I'm going to come back to that in a second. It's not good that the man should be alone. Now, I didn't, I didn't quote the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse is going to introduce us to who? Eve. The rest of the verse, the rest of this passage is going to introduce us to Eve, is going to introduce us to marriage. But I want to stick with just this first part and, and just get the big general concept here. And, and first of all, by looking at this statement, it's not good. Man, those four words leap off the page. And here's why they should leap off the page to you. If you have your Bible open, if you have Bible, you look down there and you see Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It's not real long. As a matter of fact, if you were to read from Genesis 1-1 to, to Genesis 2-18, I bet it wouldn't take you two minutes. I mean, it's a short passage, page, page and a half in your Bible, okay? But in that page, page and a half, you are six times, <laughs> six times, that's seven, isn't it? Somebody put my thumb in. Six times, six times you're going to hear this. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. I think I'm up to number five. It is good. And then the sixth time it says, it is very good. 
Now, in that short amount of space, if you have heard over and over and over and over, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, and all of a sudden you run up on this, it comes off the page, doesn't it? Whoa, I mean, hear the screech of tires. What just happened? Wait a minute. I thought we were, I thought we were living in a perfect world. What, what is not good? And this is where God says, he looks at Adam and he says, hey, it's not good that you're alone. And this is the second thing that I find so intriguing about that statement is that Adam is living in a perfect world. Adam is living in perfect relationship with God. And yet in that context, God says, something's missing. Hey, I thought God met all of our needs. Isn't, isn't that what we say? God, God meets all of our needs. And so if, if he's in perfect relationship with God, then why is God acknowledging a need? Let me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to step out of the sermon and I'm going to preach another sermon in about, I think, I think 60 seconds. I think I can do it in 60 seconds. Okay, here's what, folks, you focus your heart on God. You focus your life on God. And as you are focusing on him, depending upon him, he is going to use people, a person, an experience, a job, money, He's going to use all that stuff to meet needs in your life. But the moment you take your eyes off of God and you begin to look directly to that person to meet the need of your life, you look to that money to meet the need of your life, that job, that experience, whatever. The moment you take God out of the question, every bit of it fails. 100% of the time, it will fail you. It's not that things and people don't meet the needs in our life. It's the focus of our life that's the issue. Focus on God and he uses all those things. Take your focus on all, off God and everything fails. Uh, that was probably more than 60 seconds, but not much, okay? So now I'm back in the sermon. Okay, so in that understanding, God has created us. There, there wasn't something that there was a negligence or something broken. Folks, the reason says God says something's missing here is because he created us to be relational. He created us to live in community, okay? So in a perfect world, God's design is that we're in meaningful, significant relationships. In a fallen world, now that's the, where we have our experience, right? We, we live in a fallen world. Folks, think about how much the scripture is about how you and I relate, about how we handle relationships. As a matter of fact, I'm not really sure how you would exercise your faith in Christ how you would exercise your walk with Christ without people. <laughs> so much of what we believe about God is lived out in, in our relationship with others. So it's a part of a perfect world. It's a part of a fallen world. Obviously, we shouldn't even be able to come close to imagining a heaven, a future world, where relationships are not a huge, significant part of that. And so we, yeah, we look forward to, we sing about that, that great getting up morning and being reunited with and, and fill in all the blanks. Now, the scripture also talks to us about a change that's going to happen in a particular relationship. And, and, when, and it, it, when it introduces that change, that raises a lot of questions, even some concerns, maybe even some disappointment. And, and one relationship that is going to change, Jesus actually addresses when he says this in Matthew chapter 22. For in the resurrection, they, that's you and me, men and women, are neither merry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, if you just pull that one line out all by itself, it sounds like about the most significant relationship we have on this earth is the one that doesn't go to heaven. Is that what it's saying? No, I'll answer the question for you. No, that's not what it's saying. 
If you lift that line out by itself, it's troublesome. You put it in the context, and that's how every verse should be understood. It's all told in a context. We need to understand the context. So what, it, what is happening here? A group of Jewish leaders have come to Jesus. They do this a lot. A lot of the gospel stories tell this, and they're trying to trap them. They're trying to, to trick them. And so they throw out these questions and see if they can get them to say something wrong. Now, to understand their question, they're going to tell a hypothetical story. But to understand their story, you've got to understand a, a reality in Jewish culture. They had a lot of laws related to inheritance and how that inheritance moves through a family and how it stays in a family. And so when, when, when a man and a woman got married, if the man died and they had not had children, then the wife would marry that man's brother. Or if he didn't have a brother, would, very, would marry the very next closest of kin. And when they had a child, when they had a son, that son would actually become the heir of the, of the brother or the relative who had died. You'd have to have more children to get an heir for yourself. So it's kind of a big responsibility. I explain that because obviously we have nothing like that in our culture, do we? As a matter of fact, some of you right now are thinking about your sister-in-laws, your brother-in-laws, and going, oh my gosh, I'm glad we don't do, do that. Woo! Goodness gracious. I, I, just, I, just, I just want to say in case they're listening that I, I love both of my sister-in-laws a whole bunch. Oh, y'all are awesome. Uh, so that's how it works. So in that context then, these leaders come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we got, we got a question for you. Okay, so this, this man and woman, they get married and, and he dies and they don't have children. So she marries brother number two. And he dies without them having children. So she marries brother number three. And brother number four. And brother five. Yeah, there's a fifth brother and a sixth brother and there's a, a, a seventh brother that dies. Now what the scripture doesn't tell you but I happen to know from some historical research there's actually an eighth brother. But when the seventh brother died he went screaming out of town saying I won't marry the black widow. I won't do it. I won't do it. So, uh, so anyway. So she's got these seven men that she's married all have died. So here's the question. Hey Jesus when she gets to heaven who's she married to? Who's going to be your husband? It's not going to be all seven of them, right, Lord? So, so who is it? You know, so they lob this question out. It's in that question that he then answers with this. And to understand what he's answering, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, you have to understand this last phrase that says we're going to be like angels in heaven. Now, if you've just been here recently, you don't understand. The pastor here has a little pet peeve, a little theological problem with people who say when we die, we go to heaven to be angels. Because nothing in Scripture says we go to be angels in heaven. Except the passage right behind me here. Oh, gosh. Uh, no, that's not what it's saying. Because <laughs> if it was saying that, I wouldn't have shown it to you. Um, no, no. What is it? Remember... Context, context, context. Okay, first of all, is the passage saying that when we die, we become angels? No, it's not. Is it even saying that we become like, in total, in general, like angels? No, it's not. The issue, the question is marriage. Jesus is answering a question about marriage, and he's saying in the context of marriage, you're going to be like angels. Okay, what does that mean, Jesus? What are, what are you answering? Okay, here's the, here's the answer. Angels don't procreate. 
They were never designed to procreate. The, the number of angels that were in existence when God created angels is the exact same number of angels in existence today. They don't increase and they don't decrease. Now, when you think about marriage, I mean, the, the first statement that comes out of here's a man, here's a woman, they're going to be united together. The first statement is go forward, multiply, be fruitful. Okay, having children is not the only purpose of marriage. Having children is not the only purpose of sex in scriptures, but it's a preeminent. It's a prominent purpose that this relationship happen for the production of children, for the creation of family. So what, God, what Jesus is saying is when you get to heaven, that's not going to be the issue. We're not going to be having more children. A relationship that is designed for that it is not going to be the issue. In other words, what Jesus is saying is your question is completely irrelevant. Okay? He, what he's not saying here is the way some of us read it is, that, you know, I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to know everybody up there except my wife, Karen. You know, I'm going to... I've seen you somewhere. <laughs> Where was it? Where was it? I know you look familiar. Now, th this passage isn't saying I'm going to get to heaven and this one relationship is the one that doesn't mean anything to me. As a matter of fact, what have we already learned in this series? Particularly Luke 16, 19 to 31. We learned that when we go to heaven, our memory goes with us, right? Our me I mean, without my memory, I'm not me anymore. <laughs> I mean, my memory, that's my identity, my experience, my, my relationships. That memory goes with us to heaven. So that means you, my memory of you, and, and all we experience in our relationship, that all goes with us to heaven. Now, that in itself can raise kind of a tricky problem, a tricky issue. You know, folks, life is fun except for people, isn't it? <laughs> Think about what steals all the joy out of life. It's the hurt and pain we've caused each other. Even when we love each other, we hurt each other. As a matter of fact, sometimes the way I can react wrongly to somebody I love a lot is because I remembered what they did yesterday. I remember what they said last week and that memory holds intact. And so even with people I love, I can act in a, in a bad way because I remember. I mean, even our best relationships have some, some not so great memories, right? But, but then there's even a bigger problem. That's in our best relationships. We've got some relationships where love is not quite the word we'd use, is it? Guess what, folks? There, you and I have some memories of people that we do not love. By the way, that's wrong, but it's reality. <laughs> there are some people we do not love. And man, those memories sting. That memory might have been last week. That memory might be 37 years ago. Now, now here's why I bring this up. Those memories rob our lives of joy, don't they? Sometimes they rob our lives of peace. Sometimes they make us weak and unhealthy. So how can heaven be heaven if I get there and they're there? Because I got a horrible news flash for you. Some of the people you don't love are going to be in heaven. And right now, you're not the people I'm thinking of. There you go. You know, no way they're going to be. In. Some of the people you don't love are going to be in heaven. So how can heaven be heaven if they're there? Okay, folks, really, believe it or not, super simple answer. Something we're to do here, something we're to work on here, but we don't do it perfectly. Sometimes we don't do it at all, but in heaven we will. We'll finally do this perfectly. One word, forgive. 
We will forgive. And and there's a lot to understand about that forgiving and what it looks like. But here's the part that relates to heaven and being able to enjoy it even if they're here. And I like the way forgiveness is expressed in Psalm 103 uh, when God says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he, that's God. That's how far God removes the wrongs we've done against him, the sins we've done against him, the, all the times, all the places we've offended. He takes all the memory. And boy, folks, his memory's perfect. There's not one detail of how you have failed that, that he forgets. And yet he chooses in his forgiveness to take that and remove it. Do you know how far the east is from the west? Yeah, yeah, yeah very long ways. It never ends. As a matter of fact, you, you can go east forever, can't you? So as long as you're going east, you're moving away from the west. The distance is infinity. Th- that's how far God is removing. And folks, this is so cool. We're going to be able to do the same thing. I heard somebody one time referring to this and talking about heaven refer to this as holy amnesia. I can't think of anything I disagree with more than that idea. Folks, when you and I get to heaven, God doesn't wave a wand and and all the bad things are gone. God doesn't wave a wand and every memory that hits, you know, right here I'm talking about. He doesn't just wave that and, oh, I'm just, now my mind's clean and it's all gone. No, because there's no joy in that. You say, joy for who? Joy for you. Folks, your greatest joy, my greatest joy is when we behold the absolute beauty and worth and glory of God and then in that experience step into the beauty and the truth of His Word that says there's life in forgiving, there's peace in forgiving, there's joy in forgiving. Do you know why we don't obey God? Do you know why we don't always forgive? Because we don't see Him as beautiful. We don't, here's the hard line, we don't see Him as worth it. I don't see him as worth it to do it. But folks in heaven, we will fully comprehend his worthiness and we will fully step in and obey and we will choose, not have a magic wand waved over us, we will choose to do that, which brings glory and joy to God, which will bring joy to us and it'll work. And we'll be able to see people by our choice that when we see them, that memory doesn't sting, that 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 memory doesn't hit And folks, you know what's really exciting about this? If you and I can work this, if we can do this God thing with some of those relationships where there's some bad memories, well, the opposite is also true. We're going to be able to choose to hold on to those relationships that are so good and so meaningful and and filled with wonderful memories. We'll we'll go to heaven with all of those memories intact. And then there maybe won't have to be as much forgiveness. Hey, this memory thing is huge. This will be my second sermon inside another sermon today. And this one will take longer than 90 seconds or two minutes. But it won't take much longer. I want to talk just real quickly about forgiveness and, and how this works. There's four steps to forgiveness. One, I've got to recognize that I need to forgive somebody, right? Hey, you hurt me. It's bothering me. Scripture commands me to forgive you. That's step number one. Step number two is actually doing it. I, 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 need, I need to forgive you. That's a tricky one. And there's a variety of ways that happens. I bet we all have somebody in our life right now that if you walked up to him and said, I just want you to know, I forgive you. That ain't going to fix anything. <laughs> they're, they're not going to just have warm showers of blessing falling all over them at that moment. Uh, as a matter of fact, make, probably would make it worse, wouldn't it? If you actually said something like that. So we got to talk about, that's a whole other sermon, how you do that. But there's the act of forgiving. Third step is to act like you have forgiven. 
That means I stop talking bad about you to others so that they also hate you as much as I do. That that means I don't give you the silent treatment. That means I I don't punish you. So I got to recognize forgiveness needs to happen. Number two, I've got to give that forgiveness. Number three, I've got to act like I've given. By the way, aren't you glad that God doesn't hold it against us, that he acts like he's forgiven us to us? I mean, there's a reason we do all this. But then there's the fourth step. And and this is... I don't want to say this is the hard one. I think when this happens, this is where most of us think that we can't forgive, that we have failed, that we just, we can't make it happen. And and here's what happens. We do the first three steps. We do it because we do love God. We do it because we do see his worth and we're doing our very best to work through those three steps and, and we do it. And then, and then three weeks later we wake up and there's that memory, Right? It might be three years from now, but you wake up and there's that memory. And all of a sudden, man, it's just right in front of you. What they said, what they did, how it went on. And, and man, it just hurts all over again. And that's where I said, man, I just, I can't forgive. Your problem isn't that you can't forgive. Your problem isn't that you failed at the first three steps. Do you know what's happening to you in that moment? Satan is trying to gun you down. Folks, Satan is going to do everything he can to make sure you don't forget. He wants to make sure that you remember the Old Testament, the New Testament. Psalm 4 is an example. Ephesians 4 uh, is an example. Folks, one of the biggest doors that Satan has into your life is your hurt. When he can get you angry, when he can get you bitter, he can own you. And I mean own you. And that's, this is why, folks, you need to understand every single command is God's goodness toward you. This is why he tells us to forgive. Not because they'll change, not because they deserve it, not because they'll appreciate it, because he doesn't want Satan to own you. And when Satan can get in there and quicken that memory, bring that memory to life, get you going in bitterness, get you going in anger, he's pulling you away from Christ. And, and, and so what I do in that moment is not say, oh, I can't, I've tried to forgive and I just, I can't. Hey, wait a minute. I know where this thought's coming from. This thought's coming from Satan. And Jesus has already told me what he's about. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy my life. He's, he's trying to take away my joy in Christ. Hey, I don't need to respond to this thought. I don't need to act on this thought. I've done what Scripture's told me to do. I'm going to stand on what Scripture's told me to do. So get out of here, Satan. And you know what Satan's going to do? He's going to leave. But he's coming back. It might be tomorrow morning. I'll, tell you, I'll take a fresh shot at him. You know what? Satan knows when you're weak. He's not all-knowing. He's not anything like God. But he knows you well. And he knows when you're... Ah, today's the day. Today's the day. I can really get some mileage out of this memory. And so he'll pop it up there. He'll keep bringing it back until he keeps seeing you're going to turn to faith in God's word and not act on that thought. And then he's done with it. <laughs> and then he'll wait till you're hurt again because this world will deliver another opportunity for us to be hurt, right? Okay, now that sermon's over. The good news is, okay, all four of these steps happen wonderfully, perfectly, and right on top of each other in heaven. And, and that's how we're going to be able to relate with these others, along with looking forward to, enjoying in all these good relationships. Folks, the reason this is such a big part of heaven is because when you get joy thinking about reuniting with that child, with that parent, with, with that mate, with that friend, with, with the friends that you served Christ together, 
with the friends that you worship. When you think of the joy that you get from that reuniting, guess what? God joys in your joy. God takes pleasure in your excitement in those relationships. You know, if, you, if you've had children, you know this. There's, there's hardly any more joy than watching your children love each other, is there? It's just, it's just awesome. Now, if you're a parent of small children, it's just a moment of sanity, isn't it? <laughs> ah, they're getting along quick. Um, you know, but when they choose to love, when they choose to bless, when they, when they choose to be involved, that's a great blessing. And, and I am kind of going through a, a, a transition in life where I'm starting to see my children do that, not as small children because we shoved them in the room together, but they're coming into adulthood. And nobody's making them do anything. They're choosing to relate together. They're choosing to enjoy life together. They're choosing to be a blessing. And man, to a mom and dad, I'm going to tell you something. That is about one of the greatest feelings on the whole planet. Do you think that'd be any less true for God the Father? God, God the Father just loves watching down here and seeing his children choose to come together and worship this morning. And nobody forced them into the room. Nobody made them come in. We, we chose to come in. Hey, I can sing songs to my, uh, my uh, iPod in my car. I, I can sing songs of worship there. Uh, I got the phone app. I'll go on Tuesday and listen to this sermon and listen to myself there by myself. You know what? God doesn't get as much joy out of us doing that by ourselves, folks. The joy is when we, when we do this together. God joys in our relationships. Our relationships are an act of worship. Did not Jesus say, the world will know I'm real by your what for one another? Your love. I tell you what, if I'm God, I'm never putting my character and identity on how you guys love each other. But he did, didn't he? He says, as the world watches the way you relate, they're going to know I'm real. Folks, that's how significant relationships are to God in a fallen world. How much more significant in a perfect world. Jesus said the most important command in all of Scripture is to love God. He said the second is just like it. The key in that phrase is the, is the phrase, it's just like it. He didn't say there's two things you need to do. Because if there's two things I need to do, I can do one and maybe not do the other, but at least I did one, right? But when he says it's just like it, what he's saying is the first command is to love God. The second command is to love others. It's just like it in preeminence. It's just like it in prominence. Meaning if you don't do number two, you have not done number one. Boy, what a great way we deceive ourselves in the church. Telling ourselves that I can come in here and I can worship and sing and I can say that I've loved God today while I hate the person down on the other end of the row. Or I hate that person over there, that person at work, that person in my neighborhood, that person in my family. Because 1 John chapter 4 tells me, shows me God saying, hey, if you hate somebody, don't even begin to open your mouth and say that you love me. Because you don't. Man, God links our relationship with Him to our relationship with each other. Now, if that's true, can you imagine how awesome our relationships are going to be in heaven? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. And Lord, I know that some of us in here today, we have some, we have some very precious relationships to us that have gone before. They've already passed away. There's a hurt. There's a void. There's something missing in our lives. And, 
And our only hope is the opportunity to one day be again with them through you and in you. Thank you for that hope, Lord. Thank you that the funeral is never the end of a relationship for two folks in Christ. And Lord, as we look forward to, as we try to imagine, as we dream about that day that we're together again, oh God, may that motivate us today to start practicing and working on treating our relationships here like we're going to treat them in heaven. Lord, let us realize there's, there's no reason to wait. We can today start living like we're in heaven in the way we love, in the way we serve, in the way we worship together, in the way we forgive one another, bear with one another, endure one another. Lord, I thank you as you issue those commands. You give us a vision of what you've done for us and you give us a vision of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.